0: Hello and welcome to the finals of 1999 Pro Tour Chicago. I'm Randy Bueller. I'm here with Brian Hacker, and we're really looking forward to this championship match between Bob Maher, Bob Maher Jr. on the right-hand of your screen and Brian Davis on the left.
1: Brian does need to get some more life back. He's he's lost a lot of life from the uh, from the, the Yeah, Great. Yeah. Okay. So he has corrupt brainstorm, yeah, though, right? Counter counterspell here would counter. be big. That's oh, big. that's huge.
0: Does he still that have two
1: bloops? That is huge.
0: got to go beat down with two tough divisions there, right? I think so. Gaze He's blessing, targeting.
2: Gaze blessing, impulse, and enlightened tutor. Okay. He's going to Gaze
0: blessing, targeting. Gaze blessing, impulse, and enlightened tutor. Gives him a chance a lot to reshuffle manipulation. his deck
1: with Brainstorm.
0: Yep, yep. Now I'll be drawing off a fresh deck.
1: Bob's got some uh, Go ahead. weird synergy he has against uh, Necropotence where his brainstorm will allow him to hide cards from the unmasked. Yep, and Bob's going
0: to do exactly that. Bob Mar brainstormed this as, as a response to the Neven disc, came up with Force of Will, used it to counter the disc.
1: Good stuff. For three. It's alright, but since he's already got the two discs, he really doesn't need more permanent. See, now he's,
0: he's giving Bob time to sort of set up shop. Bob's got a flood plane and a brainstorm. He's going to get to do some brainstorm fetch land tricks now. And uh, he's, given, he's given Bob plenty of time to set up. I mean, I'm not sure this draw was fast enough to keep. It, Davis would have liked to have gotten a land right there, Right,
1: that would have been helpful, because then he could corrupt.
0: Brainstorm. brainstorm. That's not good well, enough. He has to find Force
1: Oil. Li- yeah, he needs to Brainstorm, hoping he can find yeah, a counter spell in the land.
0: He's gonna Brainstorm Main Phase, try to get a land into play. That's Force Oil.
1: Ooh. Force Oil,
0: Brainstorm, Disrupt!
1: That's a good Disrupt
0: draw. could be relevant. <laughs> Still, this is not a land. We know this from before. Right. He does have another Brainstorm in his hand, though. Brainstorm. Does this Brainstorm... If this is a land and a Counterspell. It's an Enlightened Tutor, a
1: Force of Will, and a Brainstorm. That is an amazing Brainstorm.
0: How that many blue cards does he have for those Force of Wills? It's amazing Brainstorm. He has two Force of Wills and two blue cards. That is All Davis has is a Consult, right?
1: Absolutely amazing. And a
0: Corrupt. Is this
1: over? Uh, it's getting real close to being over.
0: He's got two Force of Wills against a Corrupt and a Drain. That's it. Bomara wins the pro tour.
3: Oh, hello. Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm here with my co-host, Anthony, designer of one of the featured cubes on Cube
2: Cobra Matics it's uh it's a great honor uh i i you know had to work really hard to uh become a member of cube cobra's patreon yeah, you just paid for that you yeah paid just, for just that paid, you just paid for that
3: but the regular cube is up there now now did you choose what made you choose the regular cube as opposed to one of your many other cube projects to feature on cube cobra
2: i mean it's it's just my baseline it's my it's the core of my cube thing also it takes quite a while for your featured cube to come up in cube cobra so uh it was it was a while ago that i put that in the queue. Were you delighted and surprised to see it? Did you I forget? was. I, I got all kinds of people are drafting my cube and looking at it, and that's very exciting.
3: Are you getting a lot of new drafts? I was curious to see what what it would amount to to have your cube featured on Cube Cobra. I didn't have any idea. Some. I haven't actually <laughs> not submitted. A huge number. I, I too am a patron of Cube Cobra, but I have not submitted my cube for the featured cube list because uh, whatever, it's fine. But I'm glad that people are seeing it. You can help change the tide of the cube road, Anthony, by getting more people to understand and accept that the cube does not have to be about playing the most powerful cards.
2: I'm certainly doing my best.
3: This week's podcast, however, is not going to help in that regard, Anthony, because we are dedicating an entire episode to talking about one specific card... And that card is Brainstorm.
2: Wow. This is a great idea because I feel like it's we're, we're kind of running out of ideas here. And all of a sudden, you just, hit on, running out of you ideas. just hit on uh, 20,000 new episode uh, podcast episodes. We are not ideas. running out of ideas <laughs> because I wanted to record this episode as soon as I
3: heard the episode of the 540 where Justin and Ryan agreed that Brainstorm is the single most overrated card in the Magic Online Vintage Cube. I want to record this episode right after that. But we had to stick it in the queue because we have so many other episodes lined up and things to talk about. Suffice it to say, Anthony, this is a controversial card amongst cube designers now i think in the constructed magic world people
2: have pretty much agreed that brainstorm is broken right i mean broken is a, a loaded term that means has a complicated history but i would definitely say it is it is an iconic powerful card that is format defining
3: before we dive into more about this card and its different perceptions do you want to just hit us with the rules text of uh, brainstorm anthony i notice you have about seven or eight brainstorms in your hand right there oh, i've
2: got almost uh almost uh, a cool 20 over here yeah just grab some grab some reference material before starting the podcast some reference brainstorms all right so brainstorm is blue mana for an instant draw three cards then put two cards from your hand on top of your library you actually, i don't know why i read it don't i don't know, it. know why i
3: read the card i wish we had, wish we had the video feed of you were actually looking down
2: to read it as if you didn't know what the card i just did. want to get the words right that is what brainstorm does Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I think this it, can be a nice, short, tidy episode. It
3: is really clean, which is one of the things I like about Brainstorm. There's a lot of things I like about Brainstorm, though. First, I want to talk about why I think this is a controversial card, because there are two sides to this Brainstorm argument, and one side, and specifically I mean controversial in the cube world. And now, this episode is not going to be just about cube. so if you're tuning in because you care about people talking about Brainstorm but don't care about cube, this episode is still for you. But in the context of cube, it is a controversial card because I think Most people's opinions on Brainstorm kind of fall into two camps. One camp is, hey, Brainstorm is banned in historic, restricted in vintage, too good to be printed into modern. It's a defining card of legacy. This card is clearly a very powerful card. It's great in cube. I'm going to pick it highly. I'm going to play it often. Um, And we're going to refer to cube more broadly in this episode. Brainstorm is actually a card that is in my Bun Magic cube, which is a powerful, vintagey, legacy environment. Your regular cube, which is a low power, lower power environment. And the Magic the Gathering Online Vintage Cube, which is a different kind of cube environment entirely, but it's got power, it's got everything. This card shows up in a lot of different environments. So anyway, one of the arguments is that this card is very good in constructed. It's therefore very good in cube. It's just a very powerful card. It belongs in all these environments. It's a high pick. It's very powerful. And then the other perspective is largely that Brainstorm, absent a bunch of fetch lands in your deck, is... Not much better than a Reach Through the Mists. Uh, Reach Through Mists is a card that is just instant arcane blue mana draw card. It's the closest we have in Magic to one mana draw card. I mean, all of the generic cycling cards are one mana draw card, but all the other cards do a little bit more. That one just has the arcane subtype, which is rarely relevant. So we'll use Reach Through Mists as a sort of baseline for just the draw card mode. That's specifically when you can't do something else with the other cards, you put back on top of your library with Brainstorm. Now, I have a lot of notes prepared for this episode, Anthony. I'm feeling very energized, very excited about this topic. I want to make sure this is not just me ranting at you, though. So do you maybe want to explain to people that maybe are not familiar? I don't take for granted that anybody listening knows or understands why Brainstorm is good. Do you want to just kind of talk through the basic play patterns of Brainstorm with the Shuffle Effect and why that's so powerful?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'm the wrong person to talk about that, because I'm not a person that plays these formats. But, I mean, basically, the, the effect is pretty simple. You're drawing three cards, putting two back, so you're you're net neutral, like you said, right? So you're ending up with... So one for one. One for one. You're, so you, you had seven cards in your hand, you're going to end up with seven cards in your hand at the end. It also just gives you some selection. It's like it's not like a scry where you can actually get rid of some of those cards. If the game ends up going four turns longer and you're not playing any of the draw spells, you're still going to draw all those cards anyway. So at a baseline in like a, a sort of imagined vanilla format, it kind of doesn't really do anything except give you a little bit of control over the order that you get your cards in. The reason it's powerful, uh, uh, as most listeners will know, is when you combine it with fetch lands, especially because that's just the, the easiest, most accessible free shuffle effect that any deck that has access to it is going to be running already, it means you can actually get rid of those cards. And better than a scry where you're just sculpting the top of your library, you can actually sculpt your entire hand from the top of your library. Right. It also just does this really, really unique thing that is amazing that just lets you control the top of your library with a, a really flexible amount of precision because you have access to, you know, imagine you are starting with seven cards, you have the six cards left after the brainstorm and then three more you've got nine cards you can choose from Uh, so if you have any other effects that interact at the top of the library i mean this is not where the real power comes from but i think that this is where a lot of interest in some some of the high ceiling comes from where if you have you know miracles or other effects that actually interact with the top card of your library this is a really efficient instant speed way to allow you to do that
3: yeah and trust me we'll get to all of the edge cases where brainstorm is useful and what its high ceilings are but what well, you said, as a sort of baseline for its power level in Legacy, the one, well, Vintage as well. It's restricted in Vintage. You can play one copy, and most decks do. But Legacy is kind of defined by Brainstorm because so many decks play four of Brainstorm, and that allows them to really have unprecedented control over the consistency of their deck. Just draw just as many lands as they need, draw the right answers when they need them, draw threats when they want them, just draw everything kind of in the exact right order when you have your brainstorms to help stack your draws and those fetch lands or other shuffle effects to shuffle away the cards you don't want right now. So that you get fresh, clean draws off the top of your deck. That is the kind of very simple answer for why brainstorm is really, really, really good. And in general in formats with fetch lands better than a ponder or preordain which are both cards that were printed in modern they were printed after brainstorm and i was trying to find some evidence of this but i couldn't anywhere i suspect that ponder and preordain were essentially just like can we fix brainstorm like brainstorm's too good can we make a fixed version of brainstorm that you know doesn't break these formats and turns out both those cards had to be banned in modern too (laughs) and one of them had to be restricted to vintage as well so this effect of just cheap card selection is very powerful because it lets players just combat one of the natural forces in magic, which is just variance, right? Like both players in a game of magic are going to have to do with variance. You're going to draw cards when you don't want them. You're going to man a flood. You're going to man a screw. And what these cards do is just help you combat that sort of core force in magic. And that's what makes them so powerful in really every kind of format in which they're legal. So the other side of this argument, this if you have no shuffle effect, you are just basically drawing a card. The detractors of Brainstorm, again, say this is roughly equivalent to one blue mana draw card and point to cards like Reach Through Mists or Quicken or Peak or other cantrips that have very sort of narrow or conditional upsides. Uh, Another great example is Whispers of the Muse. I think it might be a sorcery, though.
2: I think Quicken is another one that I really enjoy, because uh, if if you're looking for those cheap cantrips, it does have a really high upside in very narrow cases. Yes, it can definitely be very flashy. But all these cards
3: basically, more or less, under most use cases, come down to one blue mana draw card. And the suggestion by the detractors of Brainstorm, specifically in Cube, are that if you don't have 12 fetch lands in your 60-card deck like you do in Constructed, you're just playing one blue mana draw card, and that is not good enough, right? Like, these... Other cards we see, like Reach Through Miss, is not played in very many cubes. Peak, Quicken, not played in that many cubes compared to cards like Ponder or Preordain. That that sort of effect is not good enough. And I'm going to dive into a little bit to why I think that's maybe not the case. But first, to take it a step further, some people even contend that, (laughs) and this argument I do want to touch on just to mention, but I think we'll just kind of broadly rebuke it and then ignore it, basically. Some people think that, Brainstorm is even worse than blue mana draw card because they believe in this idea of brainstorm blocking yourself, which is basically that I got to draw three cards. If I don't have a shuffle effect or some way to reset the top of my library, I have to put two cards back. And then that has basically stacked my draws for the next two turns. And the perception is that this card didn't give me what I wanted right now and also made my next two turns bad for me because I presumably put the worst cards back on top of my deck. I know what's coming. I know I don't have an answer. I know I'm not going to turn the corner whatever. And the emotional impact of that from a cuba design perspective is real. Like, if you just don't want those feel-bads, then that's a reason to not play the card. But from a pure card evaluation perspective, that is, strictly speaking, not a thing. <laughs>
2: There's Right. I mean, it's, it's about as sensical as saying, well, if I'm milling cards, I'm losing those cards, right? Or like... That that's one a, even
3: is more justifiable because if you have tutors or something, you might genuinely mill a card that you need in your deck for some reason. Like
2: sure. So there are cases where that's somewhat justifiable. but the, the core idea is just that you are already not going to draw the answer you needed or the lands right. you needed or whatever. Brainstorm has just let you see that. It's made you aware of that. so
3: it's even given you more chances to see it. Like I like to think of swapping any card other than Brainstorm in that situation when your next two draws are already, your next three draws are already not good for you put any other card in there, you didn't even get to know those next cards were not any good for you.
2: Right, so logical fallacy, we can just move on.
3: Yeah, so it is strictly better. Well, strictly better, so I'd just say. I guess if you only have one card in your deck, it's not strictly better than draw a card because you will die to, to drawing from empty library. But it is practically better than blue mana, draw a card, instant speed. But we can kind of compare that as a rough baseline for the fail case of the card. Let's dive into how bad Reach Through Mists is. And this, Anthony, is where we have to, I think, get a little bit in the weeds and talk a little bit about Xerox theory, which is something that I'm not sure we've ever actually talked about at length in the podcast before. Maybe in the future we can do an entire episode dedicated to Xerox theory because it's got a whole sort of a bunch of topics that are all related and connected to it. But for the purposes of this discussion...
2: I want to be honest, I think it's not a super useful term that gets used and applied in all kinds of silly ways, basically to say, like, cards that draw you cards are good. And it's like, uh, sure, I guess so.
3: Well, let me uh, let me maybe try and make the case that it is useful just by explaining it in a very concise way. Because I agree, I've seen people use it in perhaps not useful ways. And that's kind of true of a lot of magic lingo, As people just tend to throw Baneslayer and Drifter around without actually really thinking about what they mean.
2: Baneslayer...
3: Drifter. Zero X theory is complicated. It's maybe not totally agreed upon exactly what it is. I would argue that uh, it basically boils down to the idea that a high density of efficient one-for-one cantrips is a potent, powerful deck-building strategy, which I think is somewhat counterintuitive. I think if you took someone that was a new player at Magic and said, yeah, in your 60-card deck, you should have eight of these cards to just say draw a card, basically, that would be kind of weird to think that that would be powerful, right? They're like, where are the powerful cards that remove my opponent's stuff that actually produce card advantage that threaten my opponent and actually kill them? I want to refer to a conspiracy, actually, to kind of make this argument. And that conspiracy is advantageous proclamation. This is the conspiracy that says your minimum deck size is reduced by five. So in a traditional conspiracy draft or any other 40-card draft, you get to play a 35-card deck instead of a 40-card deck. Anthony, if you open a cube that has conspiracies
2: in it and you have the choice between Black Lotus and Advantageous Proclamation, what are you going to take? I think the right answer is Advantageous Proclamation by a pretty wide margin. I mean, that's a little bit of a difficult comparison because uh, the the other thing that's really, really busted about the conspiracies is that you always have access to it. So it's like, I'm not going to draw my Black Lotus every game, but I I will always have this effect. But what it does mean is that whatever else is really powerful in your deck, you're just going to draw it that much higher percentage of the time. Or just think about it, you just exclude the top or bottom five or more because you're, uh, you know, adjusting your land percentage as well of, of the worst cards from your deck. So it, your overall card quality about, just goes up. Right. Especially when there is a wide power delta. And when you're talking about Black Lotus, we are talking about a wide power delta unless it's a cube of just Black Lotus. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm taking advantageous proclamation every single time. I think players that maybe haven't played with conspiracies, that might sound weird. But Black Lotus is a good card, but it's a good card when you draw it. And frankly, it's only really a good card when you draw it in like the developing turns of the game. It's kind of an awful top deck if, you're, if you've already emptied your hand. So Advantageous Proclamation is, in fact, you get every single game. You don't need to roll the one in three dice that you will see that card over the course of the game in the case of something like Black Lotus. So in some ways, Lotus needs to be more than three times better than Advantageous Proclamation when it resolves and is useful in order to make up for that pick. And I just don't think it is because... Starting with a 35-card deck is a huge advantage. Your deck just gets to execute its plan more often, get mana screwed and mana flooded less, find key cards for matchups more frequently because your deck is just smaller. All your card quality goes up. So if you take a given cube draft deck of any cube, your cube, my cube, Magic Online, Vintage Cube, and just swap out the five worst cards for a card that has generic cycling, one mana, right? One mana cycling. Just discard this card, draw a card. That is essentially like playing Advantageous Proclamation at the cost of zero to five mana, however many of those cards you draw over the course of the game. Does that argument make a little bit of sense? Like if you're basically saying, take the first five cards out, play the best 35, add in these five cantrips, these five cycling cards, you're getting the same effect. You're playing a 35 card deck that's buried in a 40 card deck at the cost of every time you draw one of those cycling cards, you just have to pay a mana to have the advantage of playing with your 35 card deck.
2: Yes, I think there there are some really complex wrinkles to that. But at its core, I definitely see what you're saying.
3: And it's important that it's not five mana, right? It's however much mana you draw over the course of the game. Like if you are if you imagine your deck without swapping those five worst cards out, you might have games where you just don't draw those five worst cards. And then, you know, I mean, you probably did your land balance a little bit differently because you were playing, were building a 40-card deck. But in that case, like you kind of drew the better half of your deck anyway, right? You didn't have to pay for any of those cards. Sometimes you have to pay for two or three of them. It's not a fixed cost, which makes it kind of hard to evaluate. But for me, that effect is definitely worth 5 mana in basically any context. Like, I'm happy to do it. So, so basically, I would argue that, like, Xerox theory or whatever you want to call it boils down to the argument that that effect, that advantageous proclamation-style effect, is worth that 0 to 5 mana, 0 to 7 mana, whatever you want to call it, however many cantrips you have. The the whole argument of Xerox theory is just that that consistency that is imparted by that smaller deck is worth A little bit of mana over the course of all of your games to get the advantage of playing with a more consistent deck.
2: I think that that construction or that sort of like equation that you've set up makes perfect sense. The question to me there is, is what are the actual values? Where how much mana am I going to spend where it's actually worth it? Right. Uh, But but I think if we're just, you know, not worrying about actual numbers and just sort of worrying about this logical construction, that does make sense. What I am a little bit skeptical about is if we're actually talking about not, you know, building a constructed deck, but a drafted environment like cube most often is, am I taking a, a thing that is make your deck one card smaller over a card that is actually going to be above average for my deck? I don't think so.
3: Let's table that because okay. we'll come back to that. And I think that that question, I think, has to bring in a couple of other elements we're going to talk about next. Right now, I'm just talking about treating these cards as, you know, one mana s- cycling and In that example, no, definitely not. Like I'm not going to take one mana generic cycler over any card that I think is over 50% of playable in my deck because, to your point, that's just kind of diluting my card quality because I've spent a pick on it. Whereas if I had a pool of cards to build my deck from without having to draft them, I might decide to put a a density of these Xerox effects in there. It's very different when you have to draft them. But let's come back to that in a second. I do want to touch on what you alluded to there, which is the diminishing returns of this effect because I think a lot of the power of this Xerox theory... Uh, for lack of a better term, is that it's very unlikely for any deck in any format of Magic to just perfectly curve out every single game. You are going to have turns where there's mana left over. You didn't have anything to do with your mana. This is especially true if you have a deck that is reactive, that's playing counter spells, removal spells, that isn't trying to be proactive and put pressure on your opponent. You're going to have turns where there's nothing to do because your opponent hasn't presented a threat. There hasn't been anything to counter yet. And I think a lot of the power of the Xerox theory is that you know, I mentioned that I'm willing to pay up to five mana or whatever for that advantageous proclamation effect. But in a lot of games, if I have these one mana cyclers in my hand, these imaginary one mana cyclers, on a turn where I wasn't going to do anything with that mana anyway, the opportunity cost is actually kind of free, right? Like if I was not going to do anything on turn one because I have nothing to do before my opponent plays a threat, then just drawing a card is free. If I held up a counter spell and my opponent didn't cast a spell that turn, then I can cycle on on their end step and that mana wasn't going to be spent in the first place. And so The diminishing returns, I think, come in when the amount of mana you're committing to this effect tips over into actually disrupting your curve and what your deck otherwise wants to be doing, disrupting your plan. It doesn't just kind of fit into this nebulous space of leftover mana. And I don't know where that line is. I think it's very dependent on the actual specific cards in your deck and what your overall strategy is. But suffice it to say, I'm happy to pay 5 mana over the course of my game for Advantageous Proclamation. I am not happy to pay 20 mana over the course of the game to play a virtual 20 card deck, right? Like, that would be... Detrimental because at that point I'm just only cycling cards away and not doing anything with any of my mana because I have to just cycle through my deck to find anything because my deck is so minimized by this effect. So it's a delicate balance. There isn't a perfect science to it, to my knowledge. If you've worked out the perfect science, listener, then write in and let me know. But uh, that's the the theory as I sort of wrap my head around it. And again, that's just treating these cards as one mana cyclers with no synergy, no cycling synergy, no graveyard synergy, no anything synergy, no draw card synergy, just a way to thin your deck. But that's what I think Xerox theory kind of lends itself to.
2: So you're saying at this point that you are not unhappy to put Reach Through the Mists in your cube decks, in your cube specifically, where, you have, yeah. where you're have, you saying that number, that, where that, that mana return on investment makes sense and is like net positive to your win percentage is 5 mana.
3: Yeah, I would be happy to play Reach Through the Mists in a lot of my cube decks. I think it would be fine. There's a lot of packs where I would take Reach Through the Mists over other cards in the same color that are otherwise in the pack. There's a lot of reasons I don't include Reach Through the Mists in my cube, but it's not because I think it's not powerful enough. It's because you don't also want to include peer through the depths and sip through the (laughs) same. Exactly. Precisely. That's exactly why. In cube and other eternal constructed formats, these Xerox strategies have a lot of overlap with other powerful strategies and mechanics, right? It's not just that you're thinning your deck. It's that you are doing other things with these cantrips, right? So most of them are spells in the case of Ponder, Priority, and Brainstorm. So they're going to trigger spell cast effects, prowess, young pyromancer, monastery mentor, stuff like that that can amount to a decent bit of value. Um, They almost all put cards in a graveyard, so they're going to fuel Delve Spells, Delirium, Tarmogoyves, that kind of stuff, which is very relevant. And then most importantly, we're actually not playing just straight-up draw card effects most of the time. We're playing cards that have other slight card selection. So this, I think, is the kind of foundation to understand why Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain have been so problematic and restricted and banned in so many formats, because that's the baseline for that one-mana draw card. Very low cost of inclusion, some decks, I think, are even very happy to play it, regardless of any other effects. And as soon as you staple any kind of substantial card selection onto it, the various scrying, the possibility of shuffling, it becomes really very, very, very
2: potent. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a completely different territory. And uh, maybe you you see this as more similar, but I feel like the difference between purely cycling, like a, getting the effect of advantageous pro- proclamation for some amount of mana is very different from being able to scry to and draw a card and actually get some card selection because it just it, it gives you a different thing. It's not just improving your likelihood of drawing certain things by a small amount by shrinking your effective deck size. It's letting you look through multiple cards and giving you multiple hits at potentially hitting that. So I, I feel like there is a huge difference there.
3: I, I think the bigger difference is like in terms of player autonomy, right? Like I think part of the reason Ponder and Preordain are so beloved amongst cube designers and, and magic players at large It's because they give you choices. Like, you get to, like, look at the cards and make choices about things. One mana draw card is not that exciting. I mean, players love drawing cards, but not that much, right? Like, it's just drawing a card. It's kind of boring. But ultimately, like, they do have a very, very similar effect, plus all that gravy of the actual selection they provide. So it's true that I think the Xerox theory is not dependent on any of that. I don't think you have to be playing... The best of the best, most powerful, most selection cantrips. I don't think you have to be doing Delve stuff or Delirium stuff or have Young Pyromancer in an environment for this deck to make sense. That The Xerox theory is kind of the just the thinning part of it. But in reality, in practice, when you end up playing these cards in most magic formats, it does overlap with all these other strategies. And then becomes a very powerful thing because it's combining all this stuff together to make this kind of potent engine. Not only is your deck more consistent, not only is it virtually smaller, but also you have these very potent cards like Young Pyromancer or whatever that once you find it, it turns this thing your deck was already doing and already very happy to do to play its consistent game plan into a win condition. And you're also more lucky to find the Young Pyromancer because you have all these cantrips in your deck. So basically, my take is that Reach Through Mist is actually... Very playable in a lot of contexts uh, and perfectly fine. And the fact that it's not played really comes down to a bunch of other factors. Like there is that diminishing returns on cantrips. And so, in constructed formats where you have access to ops and considers and serum visions and stuff like that, you're not going to get to reach their miss because it's just not the best one. And again, the 12th one is less valuable than the fourth one or the eighth one. So, that kind of pushes that in those contexts. And frankly, I just think it's a card that most cube designers are bored by. So cube designers are not going to add it to their cube because it feels like a waste of a slot in their 360-card cube or whatever because it just draws a card, which is not particularly exciting for most players.
2: And I think that's totally legitimate and Absolutely. reasonable. Like, the point of cube is, for most of us, to, to play with the cards that we love and that we really enjoy casting. And I, I agree. Although... Uh, I mean I'm gonna be the nerd here and say the idea of getting the, the full set of the missed cards does sound very cool to me. There you go. Uh, but draft uh, package, maybe. Sure, we could do that. But yeah, I mean, brainstorm is a lot more fun to cast. Way more than, fun. So much than fun. Just drawing a card purely. And, and similar like these upsides of, you know, something like Thought Scour or or just minimal effects like opt, like that level of choice I think is a lot more fun. And so I think it's For sure. a reasonable. And and, and it, even if you're saying this card would actually increase more players, individual players' win percentage if they drafted it, that might be true. But that doesn't mean adding it to a cube is better because oh, of course you, you not. can't increase the win rate of the whole cube, right? Right. Like that's just a nonsensical thing. So I'm of- only
3: arguing that it is playable on power level. I'm only right. I'm arguing that it wouldn't have a decreased win percentage compared to an average card in most cube environments. It would be perfectly fine. It would hang with the rest of the cards. It would be totally viable. And that is purely a power level evaluation. I agree for all the reasons you mentioned that I'm not running it in my cube. I never will be because, like you said, all these cards that provide some kind of selection are more fun to cast, more fun to resolve. They give you more choices, and that's what I want my games to be about. But in terms of power level evaluations, I don't think Reach or Miss is actually that far. The only evidence I can point to that is... To kind of make this case is uh, I did a little looking at some various constructed metas. And currently, the Penny Dreadful meta is purely red-blue tempo decks, basically. My understanding of Penny Dreadful, this is a format where uh, it's on Magic Online only, and you're allowed to play only cards that cost a penny, which is like kind of the, the floor for cards in uh, in Magic Online's price system. And my understanding is that this format has no other... Management, so there's no ban list, right? If it's under a penny, you get to play it, no matter what it is. And sometimes there are really broken decks in the meta. They basically update it every like six months or something, and say, here's the new cards that are in Penny Dreadful for the next cycle. Um, and right now, you know, this format is dominated by Ponder, taxium Probe, Treasure Cruise, all kinds of really, really powerful staples. But Peak and Quicken both see tons of play in Penny Dreadful decks because they are basically just blue mana draw card. So these are powerful decks. They're playing powerful cards, but because of the price restriction. A lot of the more interesting, more fun, more dynamic, more powerful cantrips are ruled out. But these decks have found that Peak and Quicken are actually totally fine. They can totally do the job.
2: Is the format popular enough that there's actually a feedback loop there that that people playing the format will drive cards out of it?
3: That's an interesting question. And I don't know the answer to it. So I'm not going to make it up.
2: I, I respect that.
3: <laughs> That's my sort of argument for the Reach Through Mist's fail case of Brainstorm. And maybe it's convinced some of you that, yes, that consistency that deck thinning is actually very valuable and every little cantrip you pick up is like one fifth or one quarter of an advantageous proclamation and it's worth paying that extra mana you weren't going to use anyway to basically have that effect as you play through your games but i guess i haven't convinced you i want to talk about all the ways in which the fail case of brainstorm is actually way better than reach through mist because it is not just
2: blue mana draw card not even close okay so we started with Brainstorm is really highly evaluated because it's iconic and defines all these other formats to... People are over-evaluating, so they're, over- they're correcting and saying Brainstorm is actually not that good in cube. And then you're saying, well, the baseline is actually pretty high, so you're coming towards the middle. And now we're going to go way back up to the top again, because we're going to look at what Brainstorm actually does. We're going all over the place.
3: I wanted to, sh- to show the range of opinions of Brainstorm. And I mean, to be clear, my opinion is that it's very powerful and I love it. <laughs> and, and I think it deserves a high pick in almost any environment and scales very well with most environments in which it's played. So I, my agenda for what it's worth is that the card is very good, and I actually think broadly underrated by the cube community now justin and ryan i think kind of run in a different cube community in some ways than i think you and i do because you know they're not to my knowledge part of any of the discord communities or like having red conversations on reddit but they are sort of more broadly publicly visible and i think spend a lot of time interacting with a broader base of people that are just playing the magic online cube and their perception is that the card is overrated because people are taking it highly and they shouldn't And my perception is that it's underrated because I'm constantly seeing cube designers talk about how you should cut Brainstorm from this list because you have only three shuffle effects, or you're going to get Brainstorm locked, or I don't have that card because it's much worse than Opt or Consider. And so there's a wide range of perceptions I want to just kind of make sure we lay out the landscape so people understand
2: where people are coming from with this card. It's interesting also, there are like a couple different data points you're talking about. One is... Are people actually putting it in cubes? And yes, a ton of people are putting it in cubes. It's yeah. almost half of uh, vintage cubes on Cube Cobra. Then there's the uh, sort of perspective of the very vocal minority, the, the the public figures in the cube community. And then there's also the the play rate. So it's, it's both how do cube yeah. designers want to put it in their cube and then how do players want to play it and then how do people talk about it? <laughs>
3: Yeah, and I see people on the Discords or like on the limited resources subreddit when the Vintage Cube is live. I see people telling people to cut Brainstorm from their list because they don't have enough shuffle effects. So like, I see it pop up from time to time. Anyway, let's talk about all the ways in which the fail case, even assuming you have no way to reset the top of your library, why Brainstorm is so much better than just one blue mana draw card. And the first one is that it draws you three cards, not one card. And obviously it nets you one card, but the fact that it digs you three deep is a huge advantage. Like, it's just huge to know that your card you need could be three cards down to your library and you still get to draw it this turn. That's right. much better so than you, just draw a if you
2: need to hit your, your third land on turn three, you can actually do it. And maybe your fourth land doesn't matter that much. So that tempo advantage actually lets you sequence things in a meaningful way. Or you need the removal spell now and if you right. didn't have it two turns, if you, or if you did draw it two turns from now, it wouldn't have the same effect. So right. that level of control is very meaningful.
3: Yeah. And again, even without a shuffle, drawing three in one turn is valuable because you know I've had games where I've drawn my splash card and my splash source off my brainstorm. been like, great, back on top of the library, go the cards in my hand because these two cards are much better and I'm going to play them both this turn right now. And that's the thing that no other cantrip that we're talking about today will let you do. No ponder, no preordain, none of these other cantrips will ever let you do that. Only brainstorm lets you actually play Two or three cards off the top of your library the same turn that you cast that spell. So true. It does trigger draw effects three times, which I have to note. I mean, if you have something that triggers when you draw a card, it's going to do it three times, which is a bit of an advantage. You could also argue that's a disadvantage on power level if there are things that punish card drawing, or say players can't draw more than one card in a turn or something like
2: that. And those things do exist. So kind of cuts both ways. I, I think that's a, a big one, honestly. I, I think that a lot of high-powered cube designers they they try and avoid these kinds of like it's sort of like effects that feel like keywords that just say whenever you draw a card, do a thing. But I think there are a lot of these. Do cards they avoid that, cards like that? Uh, There's a lot of whenever you cast a spell, do a thing in powerful cubes. That is for sure true. But I think we're seeing more and more of just these like cheap, reasonable effects that trigger on drawing cards. So I think that is a really meaningful interaction. I know I enjoy it very much in my wizard deck with Ironcrag Pyromancer being able to trigger that on my opponent's turn. Having removal in commander is a lot of fun, I should note. <laughs> you gotta have it incidentally. You can't dedicate whole cards to it, but in there it works really well.
3: Brandstorm also allows you to retuck cards you don't want into your library. So mostly targets for things like Tinker, Natural Order, Oath of Druids, your Grizzle Brand to Entomb it because that's easier than actually having a discard outlet. There are cards you sometimes want in your library that just end up in your hand. If it's already in your hand, casting a Ponder or a Prerogain is not going to help you. It's still going to be stuck in your hand. So Brainstorm does let you do that.
2: And I think this is a case where really, yeah, like you're saying, the uniqueness is worth emphasizing. Nothing else really lets yes, you do that I, at all.
3: It's really hard to think of any other. I mean, like Scroll Rack, I guess, lets you do it at fire prophecy? steep cost. Do you want to get really weird? <laughs> yeah, Fire Prophecy does kind of let you to do it. That's true. But yeah, that's a very unique effect of, of Brainstorm and uh, a quite powerful one in the right context. I mean, when Brainstorm does that for you for one mana in instant speed, that is
2: huge. And I don't know if this is maybe a separate subpoint, a separate point you have or a sub point of this, but it I also it lets is. you protect from cards that you don't want to discard so that your is opponent literally casts, the next effect the continue, continue. My list. no you,
3: you go i was just saying great minds if
2: your opponent casts uh him to troc or something that's going to force you to discard something or a thought sees that's going to be a targeted discard and you have something you need to protect it's a way that very sneakily you can put things back on top of your library which is a very satisfying play pattern
3: and there's almost nothing that does that in all of magic except for like gush the scepter <laughs> gush the scepter does what you do that look it up everybody it'll be on uh luckypaper.co slash podcast slash uh, 75 slash cards. You'll see it there. It'll be great. Uh, it also wants you stack on top of your deck for any cards that care about the top of your deck. You mentioned that. Your Oracles of moldia your corsairs of Krufix, your Counterbalances, whatever you have that cares is about on the top a of, of citadel. your deck. of Citadel. It's a great thing. All these things may sound like small edge cases, and in some ways they are, but my experience playing with Brainstorm in a variety of environments is that it comes up way more often than you think. And as soon as you get one or two little edge cases like this, on a card that, again, I think has an incredible floor. Like, all cards have fail cases. Removal sometimes, your opponent has no threats. Your expensive cards you can't cast early. You draw your cheap creature on turn seven, and it's not that impactful anymore. All cards have fail cases. Your 15th land is worth nothing to you. But Brainstormer's fail case is among the least bad of all cards I think ever printed. Like, it just draws you another card, and of uh, the best card of the top three in your deck. This, like, idea that if you can't shuffle the fail case is somehow bad is, I think, really off. Given all those things, Anthony, I have gone through and done the tedious math for the Bun Magic Cube, the regular cube, and the MTGO Vintage Cube to count every single card in the cube that does something that Brainstorm cares about, that that has some synergy with Brainstorm or against Brainstorm in the sense of like protecting against hate Like I counted cards like Duress here.
2: All right, so I'm looking at my list. Are you counting like Goblin Wizardry for prowess reasons? Are you counting? I did count Mad, Goblin Wizardry for Mad Ratter because drawing yes. cards? Okay, great. I Count all, all these good cards. things.
3: Count everything now. I likely missed some cards. I'm not going to pretend these are exact numbers, but I really doubt I counted something that shouldn't be counted. So these are like minimum numbers. I want to start with the Magic Online Vintage Cube. 540-card cube. How many cards or percentage, whatever you want to give, do you think are better with Brainstorm? I'm going to guess 30%? It's 20%, 19%, 103 individual cards that are better with Brainstorm. That spells matter stuff, stuff that shuffles, stuff that matters in your yard, top deck matters stuff, hand hate. Library matter stuff. This is the only cube. Neither your cube or mine have any library matter stuff. We don't care about tucking things away for Tinker or Natural Order, but there are five cards in the Magical Line Vintage Cube where you would care about that. That's a lot of cards. <laughs> it's one fifth of the entire cube are cards that have some edge, small or large, with specifically brainstorm in your deck. Regular cube, Anthony.
2: What's your guess? I feel like if I if I'm adjusting if there's too many complicated factors are in, in gonna influence me, I feel like I should guess twenty percent again. Let's go twenty-five percent. Let's let's hedge a little twenty
3: two percent. Slightly more than the Magic Online Vintage Cube. There are eighty nine cards by my count in your four hundred and ten card. How many cards are in the cube right Currently
2: now? Currently four hundred and ten today. It's it's probably gonna change tomorrow.
3: In your four hundred and ten card cube that care about brainstorm. You really love top deck matter stuff. <laughs> I, I do. And I mean it sounds silly, right? Like like things like I counted I counted the Scrylands because there are plenty of times oh, where in the late game you brainstorm. Put a card you don't want right on top of your deck, and then you scry land and scry it away. And that may sound like a very tiny edge, but that's very powerful. Like (laughs) Changing Brainstorm from like draw a card to draw three cards, take one card from your hand and exile it, just get rid of it completely, put one card back on top of your library, it's a much more powerful card. And if you get to do that, that just makes your deck that much better. Yeah, you really went pretty deep on the Top Deck Matters stuff. I mean, we're talking 2%. No, it's 10%. You have 43 Top Deck Matters cards in your queue by my count two percent
2: difference from the magic online cube
3: oh but that's, sorry that's specifically just top deck matters two percent difference in overall cards that care about brainstorm but the whole magic online cube which is bigger than yours only mm-hmm. has 23 cards that care about the top deck i see yours has 43 you also crushed me in top deck matters you just really like the
2: top of the deck that's fine that's top th- of the deck is a fun it's a thing about a, of all the zones
3: <laughs> you've got future Sight. you've got city, you've got them all finally bun magic cube my cube is 360 cards What's your guess for percentage? Again, 19% for the Magic Online vintage cube, 22% for the regular cube. What do you think the, the Magic cube
2: is? I feel like we're either just going to go way high or or based on all this discussion Stop just had, we just gotta, say we a gotta, number. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, uh, 19%. 27%. <laughs> 20.
3: So a little higher. So but again, we're looking that's at like That's a
2: lot. Well, that's much closer to my first guess. This yeah, we're looking is a at between, like game. for all
3: these cubes between a fifth and a quarter of the cards are going to be better with Brainstorm or you're going to be better for having Brainstorm playing against them, right? That's just a lot of the cube, right? Like Hi, it's Andy, host of Lucky Paper Radio, the podcast you're listening to right now. While I was editing this show, I wish I had gone a little deeper on this point, as often happens while I'm editing. You know, I regret not saying something. Then I figured, you know what? I I, I produce this show. I can do whatever I want. So here I am injecting a little more context for exactly how deep these numbers go. But what I've done here is taken those percentages of cards that care about Brainstorm in those cubes looked at, on average, how many cards you're going to have in a normal draft pool, and then run some hypergeometric calculations to figure out how likely you are to have seen one of these cards that cares about Brainstorm by turn four or five, which I think is a pretty safe bet that in most environments, the game is going to last at least until turn four or five. For these numbers, I'm assuming that two-thirds of the Brainstorm Matters cards in your average pool are going to end up main decked. That's based on some numbers we've crunched from Cube Cobra. It actually varies quite a bit from cube to cube, the percentage of your draft pool that ends up main decked. The primary factor is how many non-basic lands you have in your cube, right? Because the more non-basic lands you have, the more slots you have in your deck for cards you drafted and your smaller your sideboard is. But in general, two-thirds of the cards you end up drafting more or less end up in your deck in most cube environments. So for the Magic Online Cube, this comes out to around five cards in each pool on average main decked. And that means that... In a game where you draw Brainstorm and the game lasts a turn four or five, you're 79% to have seen at least one of those five cards and hopefully combined with Brainstorm for that additional power. In the regular cube, you're likely to have around seven cards main deck, which is a 90% chance of seeing at least one. And in the Bun Magic cube, there's roughly eight cards main deck, which means you are 93% to see at least one of those cards over the course of an average first four or five turns of a game. These are really rough averages. Obviously, this doesn't take into account the fact that you might be prioritizing these kinds of effects in the draft in which case you would have even more of them and there's a lot of complexity I didn't account for so for example with the hand hate cards like duress and thoughtsies it doesn't matter if you have them right it matters if your opponent has them and you have brainstorm but that's like a layer too deep I'm not going that far I'm not trying to get a PhD in math here I'm just giving some rough approximations I mean who do you think I am jet still I think this is kind of striking you know basically if you don't attempt to draft around Brainstorm at all. You just have cards from the cube on average. Over most games, you are 79, 90, and 93% likely to have a card that combines with Brainstorm in some powerful way. Pretty good card, I think. I feel like the argument that Brainstorm is no good without fetch lands, like without the ability to shuffle, is an argument that we got to test when Historic was invented and they decided to print Brainstorm into Historic. A brainstorm was printed back in Mercadian Masks in like 1998 or whatever, whenever that was. And never got reprinted into Modern because it proved to be kind of problematic when, especially when Fetchlands came around with Onslaught in 2000, I'm guessing. I'm kind of roughing these numbers. Which one? I get Historic and Pioneer confused. One of them is basically the constructed format that is all of the cards on Magic Arena, with exceptions for bans and, and suspensions.
2: Right, so it was everything that had been printed, plus a bunch of specific cards they've added to Arena just to expand the Historic metagame. Right, that's what Historic is. So yeah, Historic is basically just a constructed format that is Arena constructed, Arena eternal,
3: for more, more or less. Uh, and Arena type one. Sure, and as Anthony intimated, even though Brainstorm was printed forever ago and has never been printed in a modern legal set because of power level c-
2: considerations... It was added. Was it Mystical Archive? Whatever, whatever they did. Yeah. So I mean, they even just printed some like packages where they're just like, these cards are available now. Just yeah. totally separate from anything that came in the the Strixhaven Mystical Archives, which is that special bonus sheet of cards that would pop up every once in a while.
3: Either way, they printed brainstorm into Historic, and uh, the argument for why it might be okay was that there are no fetchlands in Historic, save for P- Fable Passage. There's no none of the ten fetchland fetchlands. Capital F fetchlands are in Historic. So that kind of approximates a pre-Fetchland printing Brainstorm back in the day. And guess what? I mean, Brainstorm proved to be much too good in Historic. It dominated the meta, got suspended, eventually got banned. Because it's a Magic card that just has synergy with other Magic cards. As I covered, like between one-fifth and a quarter of those three cubes I looked at, which are three very different cubes. And the same is true for the Historic metagame. There's just enough ways to shuffle your library or to get some other kind of value off of Brainstorm that you don't need Fetchlands for it to be good. And that's overall, kind of in summary, my evaluation of the card. It's just there's enough ways to get value off of it that you don't need to be doing this like prescriptive thing that has made it really, really good in Legacy where you have Fetch Land specifically. Like, I've played it in your cube just in combination with like Master of Death and been thrilled because it's great. We've talked before about how card evaluation comes down to how good is the best case scenario of the card, how bad is the worst case scenario, and what does that like distribution curve look like in between, right? Like, how often are these things going to occur? And, my argument with Brainstorm is that how good is it when it's good? It's extremely good. It is singularly good. When you get to tuck a card so that was going to be hit with hand hate, when you get to draw three and then crack a fetch and shuffle two cards away, there are no cards in Magic's history that do that. It is It stands alone as an incredibly powerful card when it's really good. How bad is it when it's bad? To refer back to the whole reach-through-mists conversation, I don't think it's that bad. I think the floor of this card is really, really strong, and... Feel-bads aside, the feel-bads of knowing you're going to lose this game in the next two turns because you don't have the answer and you're not going to find it, it's just a very, very strong floor. It's arguably
2: a, an incredibly high floor because you can just skip those two turns you and get, get on to, to the concede. next game.
3: You just get to concede. That's great. And then as far as the ratios in which the outcomes occur, I think most people think that it's primarily a reach-through miss that is sometimes better. And I would argue that it's actually most of the time much better. I do want to touch on a fact here, which is that I think this card is difficult to play with because... Even though I mentioned that cantrips are very good, oftentimes in this sort of Xerox theory construct, at filling in leftover mana in your curve, like just I had nothing to do with my mana, so I just cast my cantrip. That's actually not the way to optimize brainstorm play. You certainly can do it because it does draw a card effectively. Like if you think you have to, you can just turn one brainstorm, but it's really not capitalizing on what makes the card good. Uh, and I think as a lot of players, a lot has been written, many articles, many podcasts, many discussions have been had about how to play with Brainstorm. And so I won't try and like offer my suggestion here other than to say that I think waiting till later in the game is good. Waiting till you get to get this extra value off of it if you can afford to is, is usually worth it. And I think players that don't know how to play with Brainstorm might have this perception from casting it on turn one all the time or just casting it when they have open mana and, you know, no way to get any value off of it instead of just drawing a card and no cards in their hand they want to get rid of or whatever might have this sort of ingrained perception that it's not good just because they maybe aren't experienced at playing with it. I think this is a card that has been uniquely and consistently underrated over the whole course of Magic history, right? So we talked about how it was printed in Historic. They thought it would be fine. It was actually not fine. and had to get banned. It's restricted in Vintage, so down to one copy in Vintage, which is kind of... That's like the biggest like, red badge on a card in terms of how broken it is when it gets restricted in Vintage. You can only play one copy there. It's kind of a problem. When a cantrip like this is too good, I don't think it is readily apparent. Like, I think what you need to understand that a card like Brainstorm is a problem in a certain context, be that a cube or a constructed metagame, is you need a lot of data. You need a bunch of competitive players grinding decks against each other over the course of a long time and playing lots of different matchups and you know, getting that sort of long tail of all these different use cases and win percentages and all that kind of stuff to see actually, okay, after a bunch of games have played out, this is dominating the metagame. game. It is proven to be an auto include in any blue deck, and it's made blue decks the most powerful decks in the format. And that's when it has to get banned. It's not like we're also
2: not jamming all possible decks into the time traveling supercomputer. It's it's a lot of uh, you know players making decisions based on what they see other players succeeding with. So there's a lot right. of feedback loops, and and we don't necessarily discover the the perfect solutions quickly. But in terms of what like wizards R and D does or what cube designers do, it's
3: not a card. Like Oko or like, you know, a Black Lotus, where like as soon as you play it, you're like, that was incredible. Like I just took over the game. You can't beat this card. Its impact is much more subtle and nuanced on an individual basis. And in the long term, I think you can see very clearly that it's a very powerful card. But I think that also contributes to the frequent underrating of this card, because each time you cast it, it probably aside from those amazing instances where it saves your key spell from a Thought Seize or whatever, it probably just felt like draw a card. And you're like, well, that could have been anything else. Why didn't I just have another counter spell on my deck or whatever? And the answer is you had a Brainstorm, which was kind of another counter spell and another land and another removal spell and another threat. It was like, it was whatever you needed to be at that one specific time. On the episode of the 540, where Ryan and Justin suggested this is the most overrated card in the Magic the Vintage Cube. And I want to be clear. I don't want to like misrepresent their argument. They did not say this card was bad. They just said it was overrated and that players took it in the first couple picks, and they thought it was more of a mid pack kind of card, which totally fair. I mean, I, I don't think they think the card is awful. But in that uh, sort of discussion, Justin suggested that he was playing back when Mercadian Mass was actually printed. You and I were not, or maybe I was actually, but I was nine or whatever, and I'd forgotten anything had happened, and I stopped playing in the intervening years. Justin was actually playing back then, maybe has some memory of it. And he suggested that nobody played Brainstorm before fetches were printed in Onslaught in those, you know, in between years. And that when Opt was printed in Invasion, which was in between Brainstorms printing and Mercadian Masks and Fetchlands printing an Onslaught, that everyone was like, oh, Opt is way better than Brainstorm. Now, I, I trust Justin. I was not there at the time. You know, I tried to dig through some old archives and stuff. And who knows? You can't really find any definitive. There's not news about, like, the general vibe right. about <laughs> Like You can find individual articles probably making both cases from back then where somebody was saying Opt was better. Someone was saying Brainstorm was better. What was the actual overall pervading evaluation i don't know so i trust justin's evaluation there but objectively brainstorm was played at the highest competitive levels pre any kind of fetch lands and pre-op being printed so looking back at the mercadian masks block standard pro tour so this was just mercadian Masks block cards which happened in 2000 there were two blue decks in the top eight they both ran four copies of brainstorm this particular meta was kind of dominated by this red green fires deck and that's also this white rebels deck one of the rebels decks played white blue so it could play the Brainstorms though. But anyway, any blue deck was running Brainstorms in the sort of top eight of that particular Pro Tour. And importantly, I want to take this opportunity to once again mention my favorite Magic match ever recorded, which I talked about, I'm sure, in the show before, but we've gotten more listeners and subscribers now. So if you haven't ever watched this match, the Pro Tour Chicago 1999 final uh, with Bob Maher and Brian something, where Bob Maher is playing this Bant Oath of Druids deck. And his opponent, Brian something-something, is playing this Necropotence combo deck. Mono Black Necropotence combo deck. Such a great match for a lot of reasons. But basically, like, Necropotence was a a huge problem combo card. This, like, deck ended up being extremely dominant and just eventually got banned from this particular format. And so it was kind of like the boogeyman, the big bad guy. And it's it's the kind of deck that's playing, like, turn one, Dark Ritual, Necropotence, draw eight cards. Bob Maher is playing this Bant deck, which it's called an Oath of Druids deck. And if you're playing... Vintage Cube, you might think, oh, Oath of Druids. I put Oath of Druids in play, and then I get an Emrakul to pop out later on or something. No, no, no. In this Oath of Druids deck, the three targets for Oath of Druids are Morphling, which is objectively the most powerful target, I think, which that's the five mana 3-3 from uh, from Urza's Saga. Shard Phoenix, which is a 3-3 flyer that does a Pyroclasm when it dies. And Spike Feeder, which is the dinky little spike card that gains a little bit of life. Like, those were the Oath targets in this deck. It was basically this weird kind of band control deck that, if you watch the matches, basically like disassembles Brian's combo deck very skillfully and then kills him with treetop villages. Is basically how this deck ends up playing out. And that deck, I think, has some of the best examples of the earliest Brainstorm play. This was only a year after Brainstorm came out. This was the highest levels of competitive play. Brainstorm was a four-of in the deck that won that Pro Tour. And the Brainstorms are... Uh, there presumably largely to tuck cards for oath of druids those three cards but they also of course just provide incredible card selection incredible consistency and his opponent does have four duress in his deck and so he's using it to save cards from duress throughout the entire match and it's, it's a great example to me of just the range this card possibly has and this is an environment again without any fetchlands lands have not been seen by the public yet this idea of brainstorm only being powerful because you draw three cards shuffle the two you don't want away it's not, it's not even a concept yet. Uh, this is just playing Brainstorm for all of these quote-unquote edge cases. That is actually the main play case of Brainstorm, in my opinion. It's me again. I'm back. So I re-watched this match again for the first time in three or four years. And as you may have heard in the intro, I didn't remember everything exactly correctly. I think I got the spirit of everything more or less correct, but just, you know, for the record... Fetch lands did exist before Brainstorm was printed, but they were the slow fetch lands printed originally in Mirage. These were cards like Floodplain. They could be tapped and sacrificed to find one of two basic land types and put it into play, but they entered the battlefield tapped, so they were considerably less powerful. Bob Maher's deck did have three Floodplains in it, so there were in fact some opportunities to shuffle with Brainstorm, but nowhere near the density that we're used to in this argument about Brainstorm being. Only good with lands. As you can hear, though, the concept, of course, did exist. Not only does he shuffle with Floodplain, but he also shuffles with Gaia's Blessing. And let me tell you, using Gaia's Blessing to shuffle an Impulse, an Enlightened Tutor, and another Gaia's Blessing into your library just so you can reset it and get a shuffle for Brainstorm? Mwah, peak magic. Really, really recommend watching this match.
2: Yeah, it's a cool match to watch. So in the end, though, I think you're a little high on Brainstorm. Talk me down. I agree with your sort of argument structurally again, but I just, I just don't know if I agree with the numbers. When you say I want to spend five mana over the course of a game to have this effect, I'm not convinced in a lot of contexts that's worth it. But I think what's really important to keep in mind is sort of that logical argument and that structure because the context is absolutely going to change that. There are going to be plenty of environments where that is going to be the case, I also think that there are plenty where that isn't the case, where decks are just very proactive, and whoever used their, uses the most mana the quickest is just going to win the game, and you just can't necessarily afford to do that. I also think in a, a cube like my regular cube, there isn't a, that much of a delta between the most powerful and least powerful cards, and again, it's like mostly f- focused around proactive creature decks that play to the board. I don't want that many like cantrip effects that are just going to take. Oh, I do. I'll win. take them all. And I don't think we have the data to back up which decision is right, definitely I not. definitely do not take take brainstorm by the other cantrips all that highly. That being said, I do really love this card. I, I think that it, you know it's one of the few cards that we share between our, our cubes, and I think that really speaks to the fact that it scales really well with yeah, the does. environment and the fact that its main role might be in some context to just be played with Fetchlands for this incredible card selection. Or in my cube, I think it's much more about do I want to play this with some of those top deck manipulation cards and uh, some like scrying and other sort of low powered effects. I think that just it scales really well. And I think at the end of the day, again, what we want to do with our cubes is play the cards that are fun. I think Brainstorm is fun. Very fun. And if you agree, you should probably put it in your cube and you should probably play it because it's fun. Yeah.
3: To go back to your telling me I'm too high on Brainstorm. (laughs) <laughs> just, to, just, to make, just to make sure I'm on, I've effectively communicated. Uh-huh. It being like one fifth of an advantageous proclamation is like one small component of what right, makes it great. Right, right. In my environment specifically, there is, as indicated by the numbers, twenty seven percent of the cards. There's a lot of delve. There's a lot of delirium. There's a lot of spells matter stuff that's going on. So there's a lot of reasons why brainstorm contributes to other strategies that are not just one-fifth of an advantageous proclamation. But it means that when I look at a pack and I see a Ponder, a Preordain, a Brainstorm, whatever, I'm not looking at that and thinking, oh, it's a one-mana draw card. I'm thinking, okay, that's going to be a fifth of my advantageous proclamation. It's going to make my Tarmogoyf one power and toughness bigger. It's going to make my Tossager one mana cheaper. It's going to make my Grimlofomancer able to deal two damage to a target one turn earlier. It's going to do all of these things that are little tiny slices of the pie of what makes that card good. But that's the kind of matrix you have to look at these cards through, I think. And it's different in each environment, to your point, right? Like, my environment goes really heavy on that. And so I think Brainstorm is a little relatively better in my environment than it is in yours. Just because I have more ways to abuse it, and my environment is more about that. But also, my environment is more mana efficient, lower curving, and faster than your environment. And I think Brainstorm is actually a little bit relatively better there, even though it's a one mana do-nothing card. So I don't think that The speed of the environment is necessarily an indicator of whether you do or don't want cantrips. I mean, again, Legacy and Vintage, incredibly fast. Both environments chock full of one mana cantrips because that speed often means you need your deck to be consistent, not stumble on a land, not not have an answer when you need an answer, and actually playing these cards that seemingly slow things down make you overall more able to actually play to whatever the board needs at that time by increasing the consistency of your deck. All by means of saying that, yeah, the Proclamation part is one part of it. That's just the Xerox theory. Right. Thinning your deck is valuable in a vacuum. When you add in all the other stuff, the fact that I've got Young Pyromancer, the fact that I've got Treasure Cruise, all these other ways to use the card and get other benefits off of it, I think it amounts to a very powerful card that is, is worthy of an early pick in all three of these environments. I'll do it in the regular cube. I'll do it in the button magic cube. I do want to sort of couch this in the sort of context that I have never played the Magic Online Vintage Cube. I've never played Magic Online. I've watched a lot of people play it. I would trust somebody else that's more experienced than I, including Justin and Ryan, as to how high of a pick Brainstorm should be in the Magic Online Vintage Cube. The only caveat I'll give is, I thought it was interesting in the uh, episode where they talk about this card being overrated. Justin specifically says he's frustrated about about that because players take it too early and he would love to get it and play it late. He's like, I would love to get this card mid-pack and already have a deck that can take advantage of it and then pick it. People are picking it early and they're not letting me do that. To which I say... I, too, would like to get good cards (laughs) mid-pack. Justin, that would be great. But uh, they're taking it early because it's a good card. And the fact that you want it for your deck actively, I think, is evidence that it is a good card in that environment.
2: And maybe you're just a little lower than most people are on it, but I don't think it's because they're necessarily overrating it. That's a really interesting aspect of draft, how you you don't necessarily need to take things at their, like, correct point in the pack where that is, like, the the matching power level. It's all all about how other people evaluate cards. And being able to take advantage of those discrepancies is a a huge part of the skill of drafting, which, uh, to me, that's, like, part of the fun. Like, obviously, this is not what he's saying, but if we take that to the extreme absurd degree, saying everyone should have perfect card evaluation skills and be taking things at the right point in the pack, that kind of takes away a lot of the fun and, like, opportunity for interesting draft experiences.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't want everyone to be a clone of me around the draft table,
2: though. Well, I, if everyone was a clone of me, they would definitely not have great <laughs> skill card evaluation skills. At least it'd be
3: consistent, though, is, is the point. Uh, true. Because your whole point is that as long as the table is on the same page, then right. things will kind of... And there actually are cube designers that do draft their own cubes where they draft every single seat in various ways, either you know physically or in some digital method, just to kind of see how things turn out when they take their card evaluation skills, apply them to a bunch of individual packs, and see how those cards end up landing. I've never done it to my own cube, but... It could be fun. It It could be. Sounds like a lot of work. Sounds exhausting. Yeah, sounds like a lot. Anyway, in summary, I think that the downsides of Brainstorm are largely emotional and not actually power level related. And players overstate them because it feels bad to be Brainstorm locked when in actuality, that is only a feeling. (laughs) It is all but a feeling and feelings will pass.
2: However, feelings do matter. So maybe if if we talk about Brainstorm has a very low or a very high floor in terms of what the actual game mechanics are doing, if it has a very low floor in terms of emotional experience, that I think is also a legitimate reason to exclude the card.
3: Yeah, I mean, for my part, I don't think it does. I mean, we all include it because I think it's really fun to draw three cards, put two on top of your deck. Mm -hmm. And even if that means, you know, the next two draws because it's the fail case or whatever, I think that's still more fun than a lot of other cards like, you know, six meta card you can't cast or whatever. I do think that deck thinning slash Xerox theory slash the consistency that is imparted by just pure card draw is something that a lot of players don't have a good grasp on, but is valuable. I am willing to pay for an advantageous proclamation and how much I'm willing to pay is the thing I think we should be discussing, not whether or not that thing is valuable. And that is part of what goes into that fail case evaluation of Brainstorm, the like reach through miss evaluation is how bad is it to just play one man to draw a card? My argument is not that bad at all especially when you have anything else that cares about any of those other things. And as we established by looking at the numbers, Brainstorm combos with magic cards. All cubes are going to have cards that are going to benefit somehow from what Brainstorm does because of how many zones it touches and how flexible it is. So it's really hard, I think, to create an environment where it actually is close to that Reach Through Mists theoretical fail case. Card's good. It's a good magic card. It is one of the magic cards, Anthony, that you mentioned something, I guess, on the Discord recently. And I felt I felt it. I agreed with you in my heart, which was that Car prices have spiked so much in the past couple of years that I feel like whatever I don't have of the, like, chase old reserve List foils or, like, you know, chase weird, rare, rare promos, I'm just never going to have now because prices yeah. have gone out of, my, out of my range. The original foil Mercadian Mask Brainstorm might be one of those cards that just stays out of my grasp for a while
2: or ever. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that if the bubble keeps bubbling... Uh...
3: <laughs> I do think there will come a day where Wizards will print cards that were originally Old Border again in Old Border Foil. I think we will see new printings of old Border Foil brainstorms at some point.
2: I could see it. I mean, given if if the game keeps going, they're going to keep trying new things. They're going to do everything eventually. And they're going to do everything eventually, so why not? Yeah. Except reprint the reserve list. Do you think we've done a good job? Have we done brainstorm justice, you think? Absolutely not. I think that you could do a whole podcast, not just an episode, but a series. A whole series. Should we write a book about brainstorming the way that that one guy wrote a book about Gush? No. Have you read the gush book? I haven't read the gush book. I think you have to PayPal somebody. I d- I did buy the a- PDF.
3: It's not PayPal. I think you just buy it from their website. Okay. I have the uh the gush book. I might I can load it out to you. Is that
2: Is that frowned upon? I should probably give some money to I mean loading books guy. out to
3: people is not frowned upon. If you have a physical book, is it the same for a PDF? I mean, it would be uncouth for me to like post it online, but if I had the physical book, I'd give it to you.
2: How do computers work in ethics? I don't know.
3: Okay, okay. So only when I got to the end of editing this whole episode did I realize that I think on two or three occasions we alluded to the fact that Brainstorm was printed in Mercadian masks. And it was, but that wasn't the original printing. It was actually printed in Ice Age in 1995. And look, it's really hard to speak into a microphone for like an hour and not say anything wrong. So give us a break, okay? It was originally printed in Ice Age. I'm sorry. <phone> I'm <rings> sorry. That's it for Lucky Paper Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this special Brainstorm Extravaganza edition of the show. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All of the Magic Cards are produced by Wizards of the Coast. This show is produced by thinking really hard about Magic Cards and then speaking into microphones about it. Thanks for talking about Magic with me, Anthony.
2: Absolutely. Looking forward to next week where we talk an entire episode all about Newscraft Mob. thought you were going to say Public Conjurer or something. But we <laughs> we could
3: talk... I would be totally down. To I was I was
2: spending a lot of time here trying to decide what card I should name.
3: I would be totally down to commit a whole other episode to a single card that you think is worthy of sixty minutes
2: of discussion. I don't think that I do really like Newsgraph Mob. It's really it's a fun card. It's a as really six really, mana really fun go. card. I
3: I almost wish it wasn't six mana because that makes it harder for you to have the fun because it's six mana away. Yes. Like, what if Newsgraph Mob was like a three mana, three three, same text?
2: That would be a powerful magic card. I'd be into it. In some contexts, I'm just looking forward to Song and Half my newscraft mob. That's gonna be great.
3: We're gonna talk a lot about Saw and Half on this podcast, I mm-hmm. think. But now is not the time.